for those of you who are new, that was a, a lot more reading than we normally do for this part. But um, between last week and this week, I am preaching on the book of Jude. And I'm going to make my best efforts to actually finish that today. So I thought it would be good to just read the whole thing through again. Um, a quick recap for last week. Complaining is bad. Okay, don't complain. All right. Um, the section that we spent the most time on last week was the Egyptian one, or the... Uh, the group that were <clears throat> brought out of Egypt that God then destroyed. Um, and I just wanted to quick summarize that for, for the people that weren't here last week. And then also just to kind of make it clear. Um, so Jews using three different texts or groups of people, if you will, to make his point, comparing them to the ungodly people, the antinomians in his day. Um, if you kids don't remember me using the word antinomian last week, that's okay. It's a, I was using the shorthand term for it. Got Jews just calling them ungodly over and over again. Ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. So anytime that you want to talk about somebody that is not obeying our Lord, they just say ungodly. Um, I suggested that one of the reasons that the ungodly men were able to creep in unnoticed was because they, be, they began uh, with complaining, and that's not one of the more noticeable sins that we're going to deal with today. Um, <clears throat> although I am convi convinced that the grumbling was what was in mind when Jude was talking about it, that he had other things uh, that he was doing with that verse other than just the plain thing. I just want to state one more time to make it obvious and clear the, the point that Jude was using with that text is just because God saved someone doesn't mean that they won't be destroyed in the end. Uh, remember Jude tells us that they were perverting God's grace. They claimed to be saved by grace alone through faith alone and this is why they didn't need to obey. And this is why Jude says that like the Israelites that God has saved out of Egypt, these men do not believe. All right, so the second text that we have uh, is a little bit of a controversial text. It's the angels that kept not their first estate. They left their own habitation, and he has reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness. Um, there are two basic views of this point. There's the line of Seth view, and then there is the, the angels as in heavenly beings in the unseen realm that left heaven to come and find daughters of man. This text comes from uh, Genesis. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born unto them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took uh, as their wives any that they chose. They said to uh, then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. So one view is that the sons of God are the line of Seth, and they went out and they picked wives of the daughters of Cain, and this is... Uh, explaining it, it does fit in the line up here with Jude as far as people that are leaving where they were ordained to their proper habitation and going out and doing something God has said not to do. But try as I may, uh, I had to disagree with Dr. Lightheart and St. Augustine, two people who I hold in high admiration, because I just don't see the line of Seth fitting with this. I have four main reasons for that. One is they produced mighty men. Why would sons of Adam who took daughters of Cain produce 
giants, mighty men of renown. It just doesn't make sense. Normally when a believer has a union with an unbeliever, they don't produce giants or, or mighty men. They have no reason to think that it's more likely that they would have a mighty man, even if you don't take it as far as giant in stature. Why would they be men of renown as a course of action? Um, two, was there a prohibition not to be with the children of Cain? I think this is reading back into the text. I don't read anywhere where it says, okay, you sons of Seth, don't go marrying and mixing with the daughters of Cain. This is something that we take later on where we've got a prohibition about uh, Israelites going out and having pagan wives. And then it's read back into Genesis saying, well, we know this later that this is true, that God didn't want this. So we just read it back into Genesis. But why don't we just go further into the New Testament? We know now that that's not a thing, right? Now the whole earth is the Lord's and it doesn't matter if uh, you know, different Gentiles or Jews and Gentiles have uh, union and marriage. So why don't we just go all the way back and read that back into it? Or if that's too much of a leap, what about the fact that they are uh, having close relations? Brothers are marrying sisters. That's something that we know later, and that's still prohibited today. So why don't we read that back into the text? We don't do that because it wasn't a prohibition yet. So I don't think that it's fair to the text to say, oh, well, the daughters uh, are the sons of Seth had relations with the daughters of Cain when we, we don't read anything of that kind of prohibition. Uh, the next one is a fun Greek word, okaterion. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Here, it's where the angels left their own habitation. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.2, it is the dwelling that we long to put on when uh, Paul is comparing our current bodies of corruption and then the immortal bodies that we'll put on. One of the questions that Dr. Lightheart has about this is, I don't understand how angels who are spiritual beings could marry daughters of men and have children children with them. And I think that this word here somewhat explains that, maybe not to uh, Lightheart's satisfaction, but the very thing that the angels left in order to have relations with the daughters of men, that's the very thing that we will put on when we will be like when Jesus says um, that we will not be given, we will not marry nor are given in marriage, but like the angels in heaven. So if this dwelling, this habitation, this Okaterion, if that is the thing that we'll put on and then we'll be like the angels, well, Jude says that's the thing that the angels left in order to have the daughters of men. All right, and then, I don't understand how Seth, the Sethite line, having relations with the daughters of Cain explains how they are just as or even as Sodom and Gomorrah. So this was what, what my original time that I came to this view of the, um, the angels being heavenly beings that, that went into human daughters of men was straight from the evidence in the text. It says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh. I, I don't see how we can relate a, um, a son of Seth going after a daughter of Cain like Sodom and Gomorrah. We know Sodom and Gomorrah, their men were having relations with men. That's what the strange flesh stands in for. So how is it strange for a man to desire a woman? Right? It's not the same category here. Go ahead. 
and those men were going after embodied angels. And they were, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of those little things that, that if you follow the bunny trails, I said this last week, if you follow the bunny trails, so many of these things relate and overlay on top of each other in Jude that it, it's just stacked with those kinds of like side or lesser illusions that, that bring to mind. It's kind of amazing that he fits so much in such a small letter. All right, so those are my four reasons. So that's what um, I would say is the, the main point of this reference. What does Jude say as far as these uh, angels that kept not the proper habitation but went after the daughters of men? How are they like his opponents? Right, that's the other thing. So um, I, I would say that it's something along the lines of they're not keeping what God has made them. God has said, you be this, and then they are leaving that kind of authority to do something that God has said not to do. It's unnatural. All right. <clears throat> the next example is um, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, so we, we have already led into that. Uh, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Jude's opponents are basically they've got no boundaries for their lusts or their desires. They're going after all these things and with these three examples Jude is saying these people also did something like what they're doing. These people also did what these people are doing. These people also did something that's similar to what these people are doing. And all of them are examples of being put in chains for eternal darkness, suffering hellfire, the ground itself swallowing them whole. Um, so he's saying God is judging these people for uh, violating his good order. But these men, they speak evil of those things which they know not. Uh, but what they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. This one is a little bit odd, depending on which translation that you go with. Um, this one makes it sound like the things that they do understand by instinct, those are the things that they use to destroy themselves. Um, but they're speaking evil of the things that they don't understand. They have uh, gone the way of Cain, they are greedily after gain like Balaam, and they perish against the gainsaying of Kor. This is another spot in order to save time that I'm just going to take it straight forward. But depending on if you take this as a reference to these three previous texts that we referenced, and depending on which order you take them in, a lot of those other interesting things happen. So if you take, um, if you take the gainsaying of Korah and you pair that with the rebellion of Korah, and so you do sort of a mirror, right? Um, you relate that one with it, then you would place the Balaam's error with the angels, and then Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be um, Cain. If you go in the actual order, Cain is going to be the, uh, the Israelites that were saved out of Egypt, and then Balaam is going to be the angels, and then Kor is going to be Sodom and Gomorrah. And I, I don't know exactly how to pair it, because weird things happen, and Jude does some weird things in the book. So all those things could be true, but the most straightforward reading of it is just to take it as itself instead of some kind of weird thing Jude is doing in order to point out other, other uh, theologically apt things that these people are, are doing in his own time. Cain is a brother murderer, so how do these people murder their brothers? Well, um, God is accepting these other people's sacrifices. 
but these ungodly men, obviously God is not accepting their sacrifices. And so they murder them with the rock of destructive heresies. They bring in destructive heresies, they convince these other people to go and commit sensu uh, sensualities like they are doing, and thus they murder their brothers. Um, the error of Balaam, uh, the story of Balaam is that he is trying to sell out Israel. He teaches um, their opponents to get them to commit sexual immoral acts by marrying uh, foreign women. And this is one of those things where Lightheart, if he's relaying them, that could be bolstering his argument for the line of Seth view. But um, he does it because he's greedy, because he wants money. God over and over again tells him not to, but eventually he weasels his way through in a way in order to do it. These people, we see them all the time. They will um, come up with interesting theological arguments that will allow people to commit their sexual immoralities, right? And so the ones that have the itchy ears that want to hear that they can go after their sins and be right with God, follow into it, and then they get their ties, they get their book sales, they get their conferences, and their reward. Uh, the gainsaying of core, since I spent basically all of last week doing that one, we'll just leave that for last week. How was, how was, sorry, the King James says core, but it's the uh, rebellion of Korah. So we spent a long time last week going over the rebellion of Korah. I'll just leave that there. And then next we have a section of some of the best poetic name calling in the Bible. So <laughs> there are spots in your feasts of charity, right? So yeah, you have a feast, they're the spot on the food that everybody wants to cut around. Um, when they feast with you, they feed themselves without fear. We, you have somebody at a dinner party and they're selfish and they're scooping everything onto their own plate. Right? They're, they're hogging down everything and they're doing it without fear of repercussion. They know that they sit in a place that nobody's going to say anything about it. Um, <clears throat> there are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Some of these are also particular references for the area in which the, the original people to receive Jude's letter could have seen. A lot of people say that um, it's Palestine. And so in Palestine, you'd be on the cliffs, you'd see foaming water, you'd see clouds that would be drove in by the wind, but uh, they wouldn't be dropping water on your crops. It was a bad time, famines, all this stuff. And Jude is saying all of these things that people fear and hate or despise, he's coming up with all of these poetic and, and wonderfully, uh, <laughs> uh, wonderfully poetic ways of just basically name calling these people that are his opponents. He's not concerned with trying not to be offensive or word uh, his statements in such a way that just in case the people that he's condemning turn to God. He, he assumes that if these people are to turn to God, if they're to repent, that they would say, yeah, I was a cloud without water. I was foaming water. I was greedy. Um, <clears throat> wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Good stuff. And then uh, we have a reference from the book of Enoch or, um, or a text that says something of the book of Enoch. It's a little bit disputed, um, but Jude gives its credence, and because Jude was writing by the Holy Spirit, we know that this part at least is inspired. Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convict all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and against their hard speeches, which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him, the murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. Um, I like how we have a contrast from what's above it. He has all of these different ways of uh, calling them names, and then he's just like five times in a row. Ungodly, 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 ungodly. 
um, I don't have anything else to say about it other than I appreciate it and I find it hilarious. <laughs> so we get to this, the, the end, and what does Jude do? I would expect, if, if this was an, an evangelical sermon, I would expect him to, after going through all these things, say, okay, stop your grumblings, stop your sexual immorality, stop your greed, repent of all of this stuff, and obey the Lord. But that's not what he does. Again, he's putting up, but you, they, and them. He's othering these opponents. He says, but you, you keep yourselves in the holy faith. You pray in the Holy Spirit. You contend for the faith. That's how you're contending for the faith. All of these other stories, God is destroying all of these people. And he says, God's going to destroy them. He knows what they've done. Justice will rain down. You keep yourselves holy. You do what's right. God will destroy them. I think that there is a little bit of a call in there for us not to emulate them. When he says keep in the holy faith, he is telling us don't complain like them. Don't be sensual like they are. Don't follow after your lusts. But he doesn't explicitly word that to his hearers. He's just encouraging them to persevere and to continue on like business is normal and wait for these people to be destroyed. As far as Jude's concerned, they're condemned from all time. But then he does tell them specifically what we talked about a little bit last week, this, these categories of three people uh, on whom to have mercy. So the people that are actually living there with these ungodly people, he says, on some have mercy. Sorry. Have mercy on those that doubt. On some, have fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spied by the flesh, right? Um, hold on, just one second. Yeah, so even though as far as Jude is concerned, he's not calling for the repentance of the ungodly men that commit ungodly deeds in all their ungodly ways, he does tell the people that are going to be uh, who he's writing to, the called, who are being sanctified, he tells them, on some that are doubting, have mercy on them. On some, save with fear. On others, you know, snatch them out of the fire. Hate even the garment that is stained by the flesh. So the people that are actually on the ground living with those people who are in community, who will see the way of their lives, they're the ones that are going to be interacting with them and saving some of them. Um, so I, don't, I just don't want anybody to hear that and think of it as, a, oh, well, these people are committing these ungodly acts. Well, we'll just write them off because he does exhort the people that are staying there to have interactions with them to try to save some. Um, this this uh, pulling out of the fire, there's a couple of really interesting references with that that I couldn't... Um, I couldn't give up. So I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning fire, yet you did not return to me. So this is in Amos. Again, it's one of those interesting overlap places where, where you have Sodom and Gomorrah come back into the story. Everything that Jude does seems to be weaved together. But this is one of the Old Testament references when you look for somebody that's plucked out of the uh, fire as a brand. And so this might even be when he says, yet you didn't return to me. So he says, pluck them out of the fire, hate even the garments stained by flesh. Jude realizes that sometimes when you have mercy on somebody, when you're doing these, these acts and you're plucking them out of the fire, sometimes they do go right back to it. 
Um, and so it's to be expected. The other one, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? This is um, in the accusation of Joshua scene. And so again, we have somebody saying the Lord rebuke Satan, not speaking evil against dignities, right? But saying the Lord rebuke you. Um, so again, we have this overlap where Jude is connecting all of these things. He's, um, even though it's just a single page letter, he's, he's so, um, so knowledgeable in the scriptures that he's able to layer these references where there's so much nuance throughout the letter. If you just go and read all of the references, if you have a good reference Bible and just read the references, it's like it becomes, you know, a large book. All right. <clears throat> I did have one spot because we said the Lord rebuke you going back to the dignities that I had skipped over. So he talks about that they are um, speaking vile of dignities, that example of Michael the archangel disputing over Moses' body where he says the Lord rebuke you. Um, and one of the things that it makes me think about is all these people, we live in such a materialistic world now that they do speak evil of dignities but in different ways as if they pretend like they, they don't exist. Um, and then they do things that would put them in harm's way because they're not thinking about the, the unseen realm, right? Um, one of these examples is, um, so we know angels are ministering spirits, right? We have different places in the scripture where we're talking about angels bringing the prayers of the saints up to the Lord. Um, so a man is told to live with his wife in an understanding way. Um, honoring her as the weaker vessel. And if he doesn't do this, then his prayers are going to be cut off. And then we've got this reference in, in 1 Corinthians about women wearing a head covering, and they are told to do it for the angel's sake, right? And so there are all these interesting things that are going on in the unseen realm that um, these people um, were boasting against. They were neglecting. They were saying, oh, no, now we don't have to do any of this stuff. We don't have to be weary about any of this stuff. Um, they, they sing songs like, uh, go ahead and put a target on my forehead. You could fire, but you've got no bullet. And I'm not saying that it's completely wrong for us to, to taunt Satan like this, but he is a, a very powerful dignity. At this point, we were made a little bit lower than the angels, and you could be destroyed if God allowed it to happen. And if you're boasting things in your own strength, God might allow it to happen. The only reason that it doesn't happen is because we're in Christ. Uh, the only way that we have any kind of authority to speak against these, uh, these dignities, these fallen angels, is because we're in Christ and it's through his power, because we're co-heirs with him, what he has done. Um, but these people seem to be boasting of their, through their own strengths or their own knowledge, and it's destroying them. Their prayers aren't being answered. Okay. Um, <clears throat> And then we have the doxology. Now unto him who is able to keep you from, fall, from failing and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Who is the one that is able to keep you from stumbling? Uh, we do the things that God says to do, and this keeps us safe, but it is not us that does it in the end. It's the Lord that keeps you from failing. So God has given us his word. He's given us his law. And if we follow those things, we will have a light to our path. We won't stumble. We won't fail. And yes, we have to actually do those things. But it is all of God's grace. The only reason why you would follow the law, find it beautiful in the first place, is because he's given you grace. And the only reason you have the strength to actually follow through it is because of his grace. Um, 
I like that it says, present you faultless in his presence with exceeding joy. A lot of the times when we think this way of obedience, we think humgum gloom Presbyterians that just grit their teeth, they have a stiff upper lip, and they'll just do it. But that's not the way that God does things. He presents you with exceeding joy. It is life. It is uh, full of passion. It's happy. It's full of fruit. It's not just a grit your teeth and bear it kind of thing. It is faultlessness with joy. To our only wise God and Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power now and forever. Amen. There's something about repeating words that are true, whether we exist or not, that makes the heart swell. When we say these things, we're not granting God power and dominion forever and ever and ever. He has the power and dominion forever, but we say it to him like we're doing it. To him be this, praise be to God, and... He made us in such a way that that also makes us really happy to do it. It's one of the best doxologies in the Bible. I love it. And um, that's all I have to say about that. So, amen. The charge is this. If you feel like there's murmuring or complaining in your heart, there's something that uh, has, has bothered you, don't respond with grumbling about it. Instead, respond with gratitude and thanksgiving. Say to God, Lord, like this morning, I came, to the, I came to the clubhouse and the floor was sticky, it was all a mess, and I had to check myself, and I have to say, thank you, God, for a place that we can worship. And, and so what that does is gratitude combats uh, grumbling and complaining. It, it totally transforms the way you relate to God and relate to each other. So don't complain, give gratitude and, and thanksgiving. Now may God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, the abundance of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.